Carol and Chris, would you pray with me? Now, Father, we want to thank you so much for your uh, extraordinary love that has reached out to us in your son, Jesus. And we pray that just now as we spend this time in your word, you'd help us uh, see it a little more clearly. Um, at the same time, Lord, we don't uh, just want to be receivers. We want to be doers of your word. We want to um, actually do the kind of love that we've read about here. So please challenge us. Uh, help us to be people who uh, are sent out from this place with a real desire to love like you have loved us, to love like the Good Samaritan. So give us insight. Give us ears to hear, we pray. Amen. I know it's still a bit, it's a bit cheesy, um, but what the world needs most is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of, and I won't sing it. But it's, it's cheesy, but it's true, isn't it? Our world has so many needs. It's in such a mess in so many ways. Yet the thing it really needs is it needs love. It needs people to love each other. Uh, it's what we need. We've got so many needs in our lives. We, we, but most of all, we really need to be loved. There is a lot of love in the world. You might experience a lot of love. That's great, fantastic. A lot of love around, but it's often very narrow. I love you and you, but not those guys. And if it's too costly, uh, you can forget it. Uh, I'm going to give up there. What our world needs is big, costly, generous, good Samaritan kind of love. Isn't, it? Isn't that what our world needs? The kind of love that can cross barriers can cross nations and politics and race and socioeconomic differences and reach out across those barriers and love others generously. You love like that? Do you guys love others like that, just broadly, generously? Because that's the kind of love our world needs and it's the kind of love that Jesus requires in this parable here. That's what our passage is about this afternoon. As I've read it this Week, it has delighted me and then crushed me <laughs> and then healed me and picked me up and said, on your way, go on, get loving. But before we dive into it, um, I just want to give a little bit of context of where these parables fit in. We're going to spend the next uh, 10 weeks or so in the parables from Luke's gospel and they don't come out of nowhere, they actually fit in a particular context. So let's just get up to speed. Um, so Jesus has kind of just turned up in history, the beginning of Luke's gospel. Here he is, and he's quite an enigmatic character. He's teaching with authority things people haven't heard before. He's doing incredible stuff. Who is this guy? And halfway through, just a chapter earlier than where we're at, uh, he actually turned to his disciples and said, who, who do you think I am? And Peter speaks up and says, you're the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, that's absolutely right. And do you know what that means? I've got to do. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. And they're like, what? No way. You're the king. That doesn't happen. That's not part of the script. And he says, yeah, it is. And actually, if you're going to follow me down this path, uh, it's going to be the same for you. You're going to have to take up your cross. Follow me. It's not going to be easy. But it ends in glory. And then in chapter 9, verse 51, if you'll flick back there, chapter 9, verse 51, there's kind of key turning points in this Story, when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. If you look at this, it might be a little footnote there under he, you know, uh, what was the word? He, I've lost it, determined. It says he stiffened his face to go. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Why is that a bit crazy? Because that's where he's going to die. And for the rest of Luke, 
we hear these little reminders, we're on the way to Jerusalem. These little notes of we're on the way, we're on the journey, we're going to Jerusalem to die and rise again in glory. And along the way, Jesus tells these parables, uh, not just kind of stories to make the journey seem shorter, you're kind of in-flight entertainment or something. They're actually, they're stories with a real point. Um, he's actually telling these really everyday stories with revolutionary ideas um, that will turn the world upside down. And in fact, they'll turn your life upside down if you've got ears to hear. Like I said, as I've been reading it this week, it has kind of turned me upside down to some extent. But let's get into it. Let's get into this story. Uh, We're going to start by meeting the self-justifying, love-limiting expert. This guy, he's a self-justifying, love-limiting expert. Let's have a look at him in verse 25, chapter 10. This is the guy Jesus is talking with. Just then, an expert in the law, the Old Testament law, stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. What have I got to do to be on God's good side? So that when he comes to bring his blessings, I, I'm in the right place. I'm on his team. I'm right with God. What do I have to do? And Jesus says, well, you're the expert. What do you think? How do you read the law? In verse 27, he gives a great answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Classic Old Testament answer. We were made, friends, for love. To love God, to love our neighbors. And Jesus says, verse 28, spot on. Do this and you'll live. Now, instead of him thinking, he hears that, do this and you'll live. Instead of him thinking, oh my goodness, that's impossible. How am I ever going to love God with my whole heart and my neighbor as myself? Instead of thinking that, this guy thinks, oh, good. I'm done pretty all right on that one. That's good. All right. But he just wants to make absolutely sure that he's right here. And so he asks Jesus this question in verse 29. And this is where we really see what's going on. Verse 29, have a look at that. Verse 29, he says, But wanting to justify himself, he asks Jesus, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Can you, just, can you just narrow it down a bit, Jesus? Can you put some limits on that one there for me? Just get a bit more specific, please. Who's in and who's out of the neighbor category? Who have I got to love? Who can I kind of ignore? Uh, Chris Rubri very kindly bought me this T-shirt a while ago, Love Thy Neighbor. And someone pointed out to me, uh, it's American spelling, and said, you've only got to love Americans. Well, that's fantastic. Well, that's not that easy sometimes. But you see what's going on? Limit. Limit it. Who have you got to love? That's exactly what this guy wants to know. What, what are the KPIs, Jesus, so I can justify my performance? This is what he wants. Lay it out straight for me. I want to tick the boxes so I can get to the end and go, I've done it. Actually, why, why does he want this clarity? He tells us right there, verse 29, wanting to justify himself. He wants to be able to think well of himself. I'm a pretty good guy. You know that, that rule, that list Jesus gave me, I ticked them all. I'm a pretty good guy. He wants to justify himself before God. I know I'm on God's good side. I'm a good guy because I saw the list and I ticked them all. I hit my KPIs. I'm a good guy. 
And so he asks, who exactly, Jesus, is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with this famous parable. What's going on in this parable is that Jesus is smashing his limits to love. And maybe tonight he will smash our limits to love as well. Look at verse 30 with me. Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's about 25k, hit a Narrabeen, and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. About 17k's out of Jerusalem, there's this very narrow pass, um, steep sides, very rocky. It's a great place for bandits to hide out. It's called the Ascent of Red, because the rocks are red and the blood that's shed there is red. And they were hiding there that day for this traveler as he went past, and out they jumped, beat him up, stripped him, took everything. And he's left lying there half dead, helpless, can't do anything for himself. He needs someone to come and show him compassion. And fortunately, it came around the corner. He heard a priest coming, the religious guy, the good guy. Great, fantastic. He's in, he's in luck. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down that road, and where he saw him, passed by on the other side. You know, when you're going to the train station, and there's those guys trying to sign you up for the charity, and you see them, and you pass by on the other side. Or is that just me? <laughs> That's what's going on. But then, fortunately for this guy, more hope arrived. The Levite, the religious guy, guy who always goes to church. And what happens? You saw him. He passed by on the other side. And then verse 33, someone else was coming. And I just like to imagine the, the guy lying there just sort of looks up and sees it's a Samaritan and he thinks, oh, great, well, forget that. He, the Samaritan's probably glad I'm lying here beaten up because the Samaritans and the Jews, they really didn't get on. You think kind of Catholic and Protestants in Ireland or something like that. These guys don't get on at all. Verse 33, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. That's where it all begins. He had compassion. It started in here. And then that led to action. His compassion drove action. Follow on from verse 34. He went over to him. He didn't pass by on the other side. He went over. He approached, bandaged his wounds. Did he have bandages with him? Did he use his own clothes? Poured on olive oil to soothe him, wine as an antiseptic. Then he put him on his own animal, so he had to walk, brought him to an inn and took care of him. Didn't the guy have things to do? Wasn't he busy? Didn't he have stuff in his calendar like you and I have? The next day, he took out two denarii, two days' work, and gave them to the innkeeper. He gives his own money away for an enemy and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. And then Jesus turns to the expert and says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He can't bring himself to say the Samaritan. He says the one who showed mercy to him. Jesus says, go 
and do the same. It's a beautiful parable, isn't it? That's delightful. What love, what depth, what generosity of love that just crosses over these racial barriers and finds the man and does everything he can, gives himself for this guy that he doesn't know, who's meant to be his enemy. This is real neighbor love. And isn't that what our world needs, friends? Isn't that exactly what they need in Syria? To be able to love the person who's across the boundary to them? Actually be generous? Isn't that what we need in our political discourse? You know, instead of just fighting with each other? Actually be generous to the person on the other side? Isn't that what we need in, in your strata group, you know, where you live, or, or your neighbors, or, or the office where there's that fighting going on? We actually need to not just coexist, but actually give ourselves generously to those we see. Do you notice that what it says there? That it says it's about who you see. Um, that the, the priest sees the man, walks on the other side. The Levite sees him. The Samaritan sees him, what's right in front of his eyes, and he loves what's in front of his eyes. That's what we need to do. That's what our world needs, friends. It's a beautiful picture. But I don't know about you, I also find it a crushing picture. Because I find that I am much more like the expert in the law than I am like the Samaritan. I like to justify myself before God. I like to say I'm doing pretty well. Here's a checklist. I've made up my own little religious checklist, and I'm doing pretty well on that, justifying myself. And I find at the same time, I like to limit love. I think... I've loved people because I haven't hurt anyone too much. You know, instead of thinking about the positives I haven't done, let's think about the negatives. Sorry, the, posit- the negatives I haven't done. I might not have done all this stuff, but at least I don't hurt people. And, you know, there's a few people out there that I love. I limit love. Last week, I got a call from someone in our church telling me how profoundly I had failed to care for them. Um, and it was, there was truth in it. There was truth in it. I'm not a great lover. And it's further, it's actually deeper than just my failure to act in loving ways. It's actually deeper and more profound than that. Did you notice the difference between the question the expert asked in verse 29 and how Jesus asks his question in verse 36. Look at verse 29. He asks, who is my neighbor? Who's the object, the target of my loving? Verse 36, Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? It's not just about doing, it's about being. It's not just about our acts, it's about our hearts having compassion and then acting out of that. You see, it's not just a problem with my actions, it's a problem with me. Maybe you as well. It's a problem deep down that we limit love and seek to self-justify. You know, in some ways, friends, we're actually a lot like this guy who's been beaten up lying on the side of the road. There's something broken with us. There's something wrong in here. We're in need. We need some help. What's the hope going to be, friends, for broken people who don't know how to love and a world that needs love? 
What's our hope? Anyone got it? Jesus. <laughs> Good. That's why we're here. Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Absolutely. You won't find actually Jesus mentioning himself in this parable, but when you understand the context, this parable is all about Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. He, Jesus tells this parable to smash our limits on love, but he smashes our limits with his limitless love. Let's have a look at that. Um, I was helped to see this when I noticed the phrase in verse 34. Have a look at verse 34 with me. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds. Was that familiar from the first reading, Ezekiel 34? It's exactly the same phrase that Jesus picks up. So, so Ezekiel 34, Jesus, uh, God is prophesying against the Jewish leaders, priests and Levites, who weren't caring for people. They weren't bandaging up the wounded. And what's the answer in Ezekiel 34? God says, I will do it myself. I will be the good shepherd. And Jesus turns up on the scene and he says, yeah, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the Samaritan. I'm the good Samaritan, you see. Do you remember where Jesus is going? Remember the context? He's going on a journey, isn't he? Just like the Samaritan guy, just like the guy who was on a journey in, in our parable. Jesus is on a journey. In verse 33, this is the Samaritan on the journey, Jesus on the journey. And as Jesus goes on his way, he is going to heal people. He is going to bind up the wounds of people. He's going to do exactly what this good Samaritan does. This is about Jesus. I find it very strange that Jesus makes himself the Samaritan in this story. Isn't that strange? He's a Jew. He makes himself the Samaritan, the hated guys. But it's totally appropriate, isn't it? Because Jesus was hated by the Jews. You see, Jesus is not just the Samaritan in this parable. It's actually all about him. He's also the guy that gets beaten up, isn't he? What's at the end of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem? He gets beaten up and left not just half dead, they finish the job. The priests and the Levites don't show him any compassion, just like the guy in the parable. Um, you see, this is all about Jesus loving us and this world. Um, he sees us, our world, as that guy lying there with no hope, half dead. That's our world. That's us. We need help. And when he saw us, he had compassion, just like the good Samaritan, he crossed over. He approached us, came to us. In fact, he gave himself to us. He completely gave himself, took our place. He was beaten and stripped and killed for us so that he could bind us up with his wounds. By his wounds, we are healed. And he did it all to, to justify us because we can't justify ourselves. We are justified with God, set right with God, in good standing with God, only because God's compassionate, crossed over to us, loved us. You see, friends, that's the big thing. This is the thing that's really stood out to me this week, this connection between how we limit love and how we try to justify ourselves. If we're trying to justify ourselves, we're going to want a small list of things we need to do. But if we can chuck all that out and say we're freely justified, loved by God, shown compassion by him through Jesus. 
And forget the list. The list is open-ended. Just love past the limits because you've been loved beyond all limit. Jesus smashes our limits to love with his limitless love. So friends, I want to encourage you to come away from any sense of self-justification. You know, there's no joy there. It's emptiness. Any love you offer is ultimately selfish. Just trying to get you to tick a box. Come and rejoice in God's compassion that he's shown you. And then show that to others. Yes, we're going to keep stuffing it up. Yes, we're going to keep putting limits on love. But let's keep remembering the Jesus who never limited his love to you. He never will. He'll never limit his love to you. Rejoice in that. Get up again and follow him down the road, seeking to love those around you. It's our only hope. It's the only hope for our world, how we love 